Chapters seventy one through seventy five of the Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini, Volume One. Translated by John Addington Simons. Chapters seventy one through seventy five. Seventy one. Not many days had passed before, my medal being finished, I stamped it in gold, silver, and copper. After I had shown it to Messer Pietro, he immediately introduced me to the Pope. It was on a day in April, after dinner, and the weather very fine. The Pope was in the Belvedere. After entering the presence, I put my medals together with the dies of steel into his hand. He took them, and recognizing at once their mastery of art, looked at Messer Pietro in the face and said, the ancients never had such medals made for them as these. While he and the others were inspecting them, taking up now the dies and now the medals in their hands, I began to speak as submissively as I was able. If a greater power had not controlled the working of my inauspicious stars, and hindered that with which they violently menaced me, your holiness, without your fault or mine, would have lost a faithful and loving servant." It must, most blessed Father, be allowed that in those cases where men are risking all upon one throw, it is not wrong to do as certain poor and simple men are wont to say, who tell us we must mark seven times and cut once. Your Holiness will remember how the malicious and lying tongue of my bitter enemy so easily aroused your anger, that you ordered the governor to have me taken on the spot and hanged, but I have no doubt that when you had become aware of the irreparable act by which you would have wronged yourself, in cutting off from your servant, such as even now your holiness hath saith he is, I am sure, I repeat, that before God and the world you would have felt no trifling twinges of remorse. Excellent and virtuous fathers, and masters of like quality, ought not to let their arm in wrath descend upon their sons and servants with such inconsiderate haste, seeing that subsequent repentance will avail them nothing. But now that God has overruled the malign influences of the stars and saved me from your holiness, I humbly beg you another time not to let yourself so easily be stirred to rage against me. The Pope had stopped from looking at the medals, and was now listening attentively to what I said. There were many noblemen of the greatest consequence present, which made him blush a little, as it were for shame, and not knowing how else to extricate himself from this entanglement, he said he could not remember having given such an order. I changed the conversation in order to cover his embarrassment. His Holiness then began to speak again about the medals, and asked what method I had used to stamp them so marvellously, large as they were, for he had never met with ancient pieces of that size. We talked a little on this subject, but being not quite easy that I might not begin another lecture sharper than the last, he praised my medals, and said that they gave him the greatest satisfaction, but that he should like another reverse made according to a fancy of his own, if it were possible to stamp them with two different patterns. I said that it was possible to do so. Then His Holiness commissioned me to design the history of Moses when he strikes the rock and water issues from it, with this model, Ut bibat populus. At last he added, Go, Benvenuto, you will not have finished it before I have provided for your fortune. After I had taken leave, the Pope proclaimed before the whole company that he would give me enough to live on wealthily, without the need of laboring for any one but him so I devoted myself entirely to working out this reverse with the Moses on it. 72. In the meantime the Pope was taken ill, and his physicians thought the case was dangerous. Accordingly my enemy began to be afraid of me, and engaged some Neapolitan soldiers to do to me what he was dreading I might do to him. 
I had therefore much trouble to defend my poor life. In course of time, however, I completed the reverse, and when I took it to the Pope, I found him in bed in a most deplorable condition. Nevertheless he received me with the greatest kindness, and wished to inspect the medals and the dyes. He sent for spectacles and lights, but was unable to see anything clearly. Then he began to fumble with his fingers at them, and having felt them a short while, he fetched a deep sigh, and said to his attendants that he was much concerned about me, but that if God gave him back his health he would make it all right. Three days afterwards the Pope died, and I was left with all my labor lost. Yet I plucked up courage, and told myself that these medals had won me so much celebrity, that any Pope who was elected would give me work to do, and peradventure bring me better fortune. Thus I encouraged to put heart into myself, and buried in oblivion all the injuries which Pompeo had done me. Then, putting on my arms and girding my sword, I went to San Piero, and kissed the foot of the dead Pope, not without shedding tears. Afterwards I returned to the Banchi to look at the great commotion which always happens on such occasions. While I was sitting on the street with several of my friends, Pompeo went by, attended by ten men very well armed, and when he came just opposite he stopped, as though about to pick a quarrel with myself. My companions, brave and adventurous young men, made signs to me to draw my sword, but it flashed through my mind that if I drew, some terrible mischief might result for persons who were wholly innocent. Therefore I considered that it would be better if I put my life to risk alone. When Pompeo had stood there time enough to say two Ave Marias, he laughed derisively in my direction, and going off, his fellows also laughed and wagged their heads, with many other insolent gestures. My companions wanted to begin the fray at once, but I told them hotly that I was quite able to conduct my quarrels to an end by myself, and that I had no need of stouter fighters than I was, so that each of them might mind his business. My friends were angry and went off muttering. Now there was among them my dearest comrade, named Albertaccio del Bene, own brother to Alessandro and Albizo, who is now a very rich man in Lyon. He was the most redoubtable young man I ever knew, and the most high-spirited, and loved me like himself, and insomuch as he was well aware that my forbearance had not been inspired by want of courage, but by the most daring bravery, for he knew me down to the bottom of my nature, he took my words up and begged me to favor him, so far as to associate him with myself in all I meant to do. I replied, Dear Abotaccio, dearest to me above all men that live, the time will very likely come when you shall give me aid, but in this case if you love me do not attend to me, but look to your own business and go at once like our other friends, for now there is no time to lose. These words were spoken in one breath. 73. In the meanwhile my enemies had proceeded slowly down towards Chiavica, as the place was called, and had arrived at the crossing of several roads, going in different directions, but the street in which Pompeo's house stood was the one which leads straight to the Campo del Fiore. Some business or other made him enter the apothecary's shop which stood at the corner of Chiavica, and there he stayed a while transacting it. I had just been told that he had boasted of the insult which he fancied he had put upon me, but be that as it may, it was to his misfortune, for precisely when I came up to the corner he was leaving the shop, and his bravi had opened their ranks and received him in their midst. I drew a little dagger with a sharpened edge, and breaking the line of his defenders, laid my hands upon his breast so quickly and coolly that none of them were able to prevent me. Then I aimed to strike him in the face, but fright made him turn his head round. I stabbed him just beneath the ear. I gave only two blows, for he fell stone dead at the second. I had not meant to kill him, but as the saying goes, knocks are not dealt by measure. 
With my left hand I plucked back the dagger, and with my right hand drew my sword to defend my life. However, all those bravi ran up to the corpse and took no action against me, so I went back alone through Stada Julia, considering how best to put myself in safety. I had walked about three hundred paces, when Piloto, the goldsmith, my very good friend, came up and said, "'Brother, now that the mischief's done, we must see to saving you.' I replied, "'Let us go to Albertaccio del Beni's house. It is only a few minutes since I told him I should soon have need of him.' When we arrived there, Albertaccio and I embraced with miserless affection, and soon the whole flower of the young men of the Banchi, of all nations except the Milanese, came crowding in, and each and all made proffer of their own life to save mine.' Messer Luigi Raccole also sent with marvellous promptitude and courtesy to put his services at my disposal, as did many other great folk of his station, for they all agreed in blessing my hands, judging that Pompeo had done me too great and unforgivable an injury, and marvelling that I had put up with him so long. 74. Cardinal Cornaro, on hearing of the affair, dispatched thirty soldiers with as many partisans, spikes, and arquebuses, to bring me with all due respect to his quarters. This he did unasked, whereupon I accepted the invitation, and went off with them, while more than as many of the young men bore me company. Meanwhile, Messer Triano, Pompeo's relative and first chamberlain to the Pope, sent a Milanese of high rank to Cardinal de' Medici, giving him news of the great crime I had committed, and calling on his most reverend lordship to chastise me. The Cardinal retorted on the spot, His crime would indeed have been great if he had not committed this lesser one thank Messer Triano for me for giving me this information of a fact which I had not heard before. Then he turned and in presence of the nobleman said to the bishop of Frulli, his gentleman and intimate acquaintance, search diligently after my friend Benvenuto. I want to help and defend him, and whoso acts against thyself acts against myself. The Milanese nobleman went back, much disconcerted, while the bishop of Frulli came to visit me at Cardinal Cornaro's place. Presenting himself to the cardinal, he related how Cardinal de' Medici had sent for Benvenuto, and wanted to be his protector. Now Cardinal Cornaro, who had the touchy temper of a bear, flew into a rage, and told the bishop he was quite as well able to defend me as Cardinal de' Medici. The bishop, in reply, entreated to be allowed to speak with me on some matters of his patron which had nothing to do with the affair. Cornaro bade him, for that day, to make as though he had already talked to me. Cardinal de' Medici was very angry. However, I went the following night, without Cornaro's knowledge, and under a good escort, to pay him my respects. Then I begged him to grant me the favour of leaving me where I was, and told him of the great courtesy which Cornaro had shown me, adding that if his most reverend lordship suffered me to stay, I should gain one friend the more in my hour of need, otherwise his lordship might dispose of me exactly as he thought best. He told me to do as I liked, so I returned to Cornaro's palace, and a few days afterwards the Cardinal Fernese was elected Pope. After he had put affairs of greater consequence in order, the new Pope sent for me, saying that he did not wish any one else to strike his coins. To these words of His Holiness a gentleman very privately acquainted with him, named Messer Latino Juvenal, made answer that I was in hiding for a murder committed on the person of one Pompeo of Milan, and set forth what could be argued for my justification in the most favourable terms. The Pope replied, I knew nothing of Pompeo's death, but plenty of Benvenuto's provocation, so let a safe conduct be at once made out for him, in order that he may be placed in perfect security. A great friend of Pompeo's, who was also intimate with the Pope, happened to be there. He was a Milanese, called Messer Ambroglio. 
This man said, In the first days of your papacy it were not well to grant pardons of this kind. The Pope turned to him and answered, You know less about such matters than I do. Know, then, that men like Benvenuto, unique in their profession, stand above the law, and how far more he, then, who received the provocation I have heard of. When my safe conduct had been drawn out, I began at once to serve him, and was treated with the utmost favor. 75. Messer Latino Juvenal came to call on me, and gave me orders to strike the coins of the Pope. This roused up all my enemies, who began to look about how they should hinder me. But the Pope, perceiving their drift, scolded them, and insisted that I should go on working. I took the dies in hand, designing a S. Paul, surrounded with this inscription, Vas Elecciones. This piece of money gave far more satisfaction than the models of my competitors, so that the Pope forbade any one else to speak to him of coins, since he wished me only to have to do with them. This encouraged me to apply myself with untroubled spirit to the task, and Messer Latino Juvenal, who had received such orders from the Pope, used to introduce me to His Holiness. I had it much at heart to recover the post of stamper to the mint, but on this point the Pope took advice, and then told me I must first obtain a pardon for the homicide, and this I should get at the Holy Mary's Day in August, through the Caporioni of Rome. I must say that it is usual every year on this solemn festival to grant the freedom of twelve outlaws to these officers. Meanwhile, he promised to give me another safe conduct, which should keep me in security until that time. When my enemies perceived that they were quite unable to devise the means of keeping me out of the mint, they resorted to another expedient. The deceased Pompeo had left three thousand ducats as dowry to an illegitimate daughter of his, and they contrived that a certain favorite of Signor Pierre Luigi, the Pope's son, should ask her hand in marriage through the medium of his master. Accordingly the match came off, but this fellow was an insignificant country lad, who had been brought up by his lordship, and as folks said, he got but little of the money, since his lordship laid his hands on it, and had the mind to use it. Now the husband of the girl, to please his wife, begged the prince to have me taken up, and he promised to do so when the first flush of my favor with the pope had passed away. Things stood so about two months, the servant always suing for his wife's dower, the master putting him off with pretexts, but assuring the woman that he would certainly revenge her father's murder. I obtained an inkling of these designs, yet I did not omit to present myself pretty frequently to his lordship, who made show of treating me with great distinction. He had, however, decided to do one or other of two things, to have me assassinated, or to have me taken up by the Bargello. Accordingly he commissioned a certain little devil of a Corsican soldier in his service to do the trick as cleverly as he could, and my other enemies, with Messer Triano at the head of them, promised the fellow a reward of one hundred crowns. He assured them that the job would be as easy as sucking a fresh egg. Seeing into their plot, I went about with my eyes open, and with good attendance, wearing an undercoat and armlets of mail, for which I had obtained permission. The Corsican, influenced by avarice, hoped to gain a whole sum of money without risk, and imagined himself capable of carrying the matter through alone. Consequently, one day after dinner, he had me sent for in the name of Signor Pierre Luigi. I went off at once, because his lordship had spoken of wanting to order several big silver vases. Leaving my home in a hurry, armed, however, as usual, I walked rapidly through Strada Giulia toward the Palazzo Farnese, not expecting to meet anybody at that hour of the day. I had reached the end of the street and was making toward the palace, when, my habit being always to turn the corners wide, I observed the Corsican get up and take his station in the middle of the road. Being prepared, I was not in the least disconcerted, but kept upon my guard, and, slackening pace a little, drew nearer toward the wall, in order to give the fellow a wide berth. 
He, on his side, came closer to the wall, and when we were now within a short distance of each other, I perceived by his gestures that he had it in his mind to do me mischief, and seeing me alone thus, thought he should succeed. Accordingly I began to speak, and said, Brave soldier, if it had been night you might have said you had mistaken me, but since it is full day you know well enough who I am. I never had anything to do with you, and never injured you, but should be well disposed to do you service. He replied in a high-spirited way, without, however, making room for me to pass, that he did not know what I was saying. Then I answered, I know very well indeed what you want and what you are saying, but the job which you have taken in hand is more dangerous and difficult than you imagine, and may peradventure turn out the wrong way for you. Remember that you have to do with a man who would defend himself against a hundred, and the adventure you are on is not esteemed by men of courage like yourself. Meanwhile, I also was looking black as thunder, and each of us had changed color. Folk, too, gathered round us, for it had become clear that our words meant swords and daggers. He then, not having the spirit to lay hands on me, cried out, We shall meet another time. I answered, I am always glad to meet honest men, and those who show themselves as such. When we parted, I went to his lordship's palace, and found that he had not sent for me. When I returned to my shop, the Corsican informed me, through an intimate friend of his and mine, that I need not be on my guard against him, since he wished to be my good brother, but that I ought to be much on my guard against others, seeing I was in the greatest peril, for folk of much consequence had sworn to have my life. I sent to thank him, and kept the best lookout I could. Not many days after, a friend of mine informed me that Signor Pierre Luigi had given strict orders that I should be taken that very evening. They told me this at twenty, whereupon I spoke with some of my friends, who advised me to be off at once. The order had been given for one hour after sunset. Accordingly, at twenty-three I left the post for Florence. It seems that when the Corsican showed that he had not pluck enough to do the business as he promised, Signor Pierre Luigi on his own authority gave orders to have me taken, merely to stop the mouth of Pompeo's daughter, who was always clamoring to know where her dower had gone to. When he was unable to gratify her in this matter of revenge on either of the two plans he had formed, he bethought him of another, which shall be related in its proper place. End of chapters 71 through 75